what are the bare bones basic things that everyone needs to do really well? And then the reinforcement strategy. That's how you really get stuff to stick and create behavior change. And if you're implementing this for the first time at an organization, I think what you have to also be willing to do, and I'm seeing this right now, there are teams that are needing to do outbound when they've been mostly inbound-led sales teams. And they're having to do outbound right now because deals are harder to close. And I'm like, you got to be willing to like part ways with some people who are just never going to want to do outbound. So you got to be willing to part ways with them. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. What is up and welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. This is your host, Alex Kremer. And if this is your first time on the show, welcome. We are so excited to have you here. I am pumped about today's conversation. We got the wonderful and infamous Mr. Jason Bay. So what up, Jason? First off, good to see you. Man, I've seen a lot of your content and always been a fan of it. And this is like one of those moments where you get to connect and Somewhat real life, not in person, but we get to connect. So it's good to chat, man. I would say the exact same thing with you. And I may have cold prospected you to see if you would be on this podcast. And I got a response. I was like, all right, we're on the right track right here. But before you dive into the meat of this conversation, which I'm excited to some of the content we're going to go through, let me just kind of give an intro to you and, and I'll let you maybe fill in the gaps, whatever I'm missing here. So Jason, you're the founder and CEO of Outbound Squad, which is helping sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. By the way, I listened to that on your podcast, Outbound Squad, and I was like, that is a phenomenal statement right there. Help your sales team turn complete strangers into paying customers. Was that like the first iteration of what you said Outbound Squad was? Is that is the second, third, fourth? Or like, how did that even come about right there? Well, I mean, this company started as Blissful Prospecting is what we used to be called. And that was 2017. And the business has morphed into several kind of areas since then. But we started out as like an appointment setting agency. So we would be like an SDR for hire. I would write a lot of the email sequences. We would send them out and through email and LinkedIn book appointments. And then in 2020, we started moving more into a training and coaching model, which is kind of my background mostly. But to answer your question, I mean, this is, yeah, it's been like three or four years of, you know, hey, what is it that we actually do? And like, what is it that the people that we work with actually want? You're a sales leader at one of the types of organizations that we help. I mean, you got a lot of people on there that are reaching out to folks that may or may not have heard of you guys before. And like, how do we create familiarity, establish trust and authority and all that stuff as an SDR or an account executive, hopefully, if you're doing some prospecting too? How do you show the executive that you're calling that you're someone we're spending some time talking to? You know, and then ultimately, how do we take it to the finish line? So it's what I'm really, really passionate about helping sales teams with. I mean, I think that's it's an incredible mission right there. I mean, because your team is helping with all things outbound, right? Cold emailing, cold calling, social selling, video prospecting, personalization at scale. But then also, you're helping up, hey, now you got the meeting. What do you do, right? How do you do effective discovery? How do you do demos? How do you get multi-threaded, objection handling, negotiation, all that sort of stuff? And when I look at the list of organizations that you're working with, the gongs of the world, the Zooms, the Monday.coms, and even the people who you're having on the Outbound Squad podcast, and people like 
even my boss, Mark Cosglow, or many other legends that you've seen on there. I hope it's okay to say this, but you're a thought leader within the space, right? You are changing how organizations are selling right there. And I want to go into some of the sales tactics and strategies and all that stuff. But I'd also just love to understand, like, why did you start Outbound Squad? Taking it even back, is that, you know, be a founder and CEO of a company that's doing this. How did that even evolve to you starting this incredible company that's making so much impact? Yeah. So my first sales job was in 2008. I was in college. I went door-to-door selling house painting services. So that was my introduction to sales, right? Going door-to-door and... I really fell in love with the process of selling. Where your first sales job, it's kind of like if you've ever tried stand-up comedy or anything like that. I used to do stand-up comedy for a little while. And obviously, I wasn't funny enough to to make that my living. (laughs) But you learn that when you take a class, it's like, oh, there's an actual process that people go through when they write jokes. They're not just up there bullshitting the entire time. My first sales job was like that where I had really great sales training. It was all about establishing trust with a complete stranger at their doorstep and then like how to run a really good estimate and sell something that's three to fifteen thousand bucks. I did really well with them. I made like thirty thousand dollars over the summer selling house painting services and hiring painters and that was awesome. And then I was a sales manager for them for three years. And then I moved down and worked at their corporate office in Southern California. And I started to really do a lot of traveling around the country running sales trainings. So in one form or another, I've been training salespeople since 2009. Small workshops to large workshops. I've been training sales managers. I just loved getting salespeople to like, for it to really click. You know what I mean? Where they are not just using all of these like tactics that they're being taught, but they actually understand how to find out what someone's goals are, how to look for problems and pain points, and then how to sell to those. That just really fired me up. When we got this business started, honestly, I, I don't come from tech. That's not my background. I come from selling services. When running my own business and selling consulting is how I got into sales. But I just saw a big opportunity of, hey, there's a lot of salespeople out there and sales teams that are told that they should do outbound and cold prospecting. And no one really seems to enjoy doing that. And there isn't really a process that's taught to most people and companies like your current company and the previous one. You guys had that shit really nailed. You know what I mean? Where it's like there is process taught. It's not just pick up the phone and start talking to people. Like There's an actual process that we follow when we do outbound. And I still notice it to this day that most companies give their reps basically a script to use that's really shitty and doesn't work. And then people end up thinking that outbound doesn't work because the way that they're approaching it doesn't work. So for me, it was kind of removing the mystery behind how should a cold call be structured and what should you say? What are the best practices around the email copy? And like, how do you find the stuff that people care about? Like, what should you put in the email? What's the content? I just noticed there wasn't really a lot of process for that at most companies. So for me, selfishly as a business owner and an entrepreneur, I just like I saw a gap in the marketplace there where I thought I could really help. And it's been a lot of ups and downs, you know, since then. But I feel like we've really in the last three or four years really established like a strong foothold in mostly in SaaS and professional services, teams with account executives and SDRs and that sort of thing. So that was a long-winded answer to your question. But that's how we started. And I've been running my own business for about a decade now. And I don't know what you would have to do to get me to work for someone again. <laughs> Things would have to be really uh really dire. <laughs> you know, for me to have another job. So part of me is also just a little bit of a rebel and wants to do my own thing. It's interesting that you don't have experience in SaaS, yet you're teaching and training some of the best SaaS orgs in the world about how to do their go-to-market and sales strategy. Many sales reps who I speak to 
battle with the fine line. And I even remember myself battling with the fine line before I became, went into sales leadership of like, oh man, am I ready to move into sales leadership and begin teaching this to other people? Or do I first need to really know how to do it myself? What I'm hearing from you is it sounds like there was just a resonance that you felt like you're a great teacher, I'm assuming. Your ability to say, hey, here's what we need to do, but here's that second layer deeper of why we're doing it, the psychology behind it, I guess. Do you agree with kind of that perspective there? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, I may not have worked for a software company, but I have a lot of experience selling. In sales, it's one of those things where like, I just read a book. I don't know if you're into sports or not. 11 Rings by Phil Jackson. Great book. And (laughs) it's just about his journey with the Chicago Bulls. Oh, it's so good, dude. And the Lakers and the 11 championships. Well, he actually has two more with the New York Knicks. And what you don't think about sometimes is that these coaches, Phil Jackson wasn't a Michael Jordan, but like the two could ball. You know what I mean? So I do think it's super important, especially in sales. Like for me, if I'm going to be teaching this stuff, I need to know how to do it proficiently for myself. So I am the guinea pig for everything that I teach. So I want to be proficient at that. To answer your question, though, in terms of which I think was kind of like leaning into your strengths, essentially, and knowing whether you're ready to do something or not. I think that you should try to teach something before you think that you are ready to teach it because it's going to help you become better at doing that thing. Like I became so much better at selling when I started teaching other people how to do it. So if you're a rep right now, that doesn't mean you go start a training and coaching business. It means that you take something that you do that works really well right now and you try to package it up and teach it to another rep on your team. If you want to be a sales leader and you're a sales rep, try mentoring another rep on your team and doing what a sales leader would do. I'm a firm believer that like do the job before you're given the opportunity to do the job. I mean, I'm sure that's what your promotion track... Like, You have a pretty impressive promotion track, man. I mean, I'm sure that's what it looked like for you at these companies where you're doing the job before you actually have the title. Those are sort of my thoughts on it. Like, You absolutely need to be proficient at the skills. Like, Take more responsibility and take the leap before you think that you should because it's going to make you way better at the skill. Yeah, it's a great quote that I use a lot is to teach something is to begin to master it or to master something is to teach it. Even just similar to what you just said right there, I was at Microsoft for five years and then I joined Outreach as an account executive. And my goal was to move into leadership. And I remember my very first day, I went up to the CEO, Manny Medina. I was like, hey, man, my goal is to move into leadership. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like sell some shit first. I knew that I wanted to gain that experience, though, of what did it look like to actually coach and develop people. So I actually went up to three SDRs who I knew wanted to be account executives eventually. And I said, hey, I'm trying to move into leadership. I would love to mentor you. And I think I could gain some value from you. And hopefully you could gain some value from me. And I still remember one guy's name was Devin, where he was like, hey, I would love to learn how to do the initial meeting. And I was like, cool, let's go into a room. And I went through the whole initial meeting track and flow. We got done. He was like, man, Alex, you know, I didn't realize how much psychology is really built into the initial meeting. And I was like, you know what, Devin, I didn't either until I just explained it to you right there. That's what it takes of just having this understanding of like when you put yourself in those positions, you start to understand it in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. And then, dude, it's really easy. Someone just commented on my LinkedIn post earlier and it kind of is like, you always get these comments that are like, oh, where people are critiquing you in a way that it's just like being a hater. And you see this a lot with reps that critique their leaders. And I'm like, why don't you try fucking leading a team for a day, dude, and see what that feels like? 
<laughs> you know, you put yourself in that position and see what it's like when everyone's pointing fingers at you and you're trying your absolute best to make everyone happy. And, you know, as a sales leader, unless you're the CRO, you're kind of getting it from top and bottom too. You're getting it from your ref seat, you're getting it from your VP or your CRO, depending on your position. But yeah, it is so interesting when you really start to peel back the onion, you start to see that at the end of the day, when you're coaching and leading people or selling, you're really trying to get people to change. And you get to see how hard that really is. I'm sure you've seen this as a leader. I've seen this a lot as a sales leader where a lot of the techniques and things that people are not using that is causing them to not book meetings or lose deals, a lot of it is that psychology. And then a lot of what drives that is behavior change. And getting someone sold on changing their behavior and how they think about things, like whether or not they take rejection personally, their urge to pitch what something does versus really leaning in and understanding someone's problem and making sure I understand before I talk about what we do. Like Those are all habits that a person probably has decades of doing that they have to unlearn. And you realize when you're teaching people how to do stuff, like that's what you're trying to get them to change. That's a really hard thing to do just for yourself. You know, and I think that if you try teaching people stuff, you're going to start to have a little bit more empathy for people that are in that position. So in regards to actually changing the behavior of people, how do you do that? Because you are training organizations and sales professionals and sales leaders every single day. I mean, that's what you do. How do you both teach them something, but then actually follow through to get that behavioral change to not fall back? And what they've always done, and I'll even give an analogy and then I'll let you answer that question. It's like, if I buy a new pair of squeaky clean sneakers, I'm going to love those things. Yet, I will always love my messy, dirty Converse that I can always just slip on and, and go out. I will easily fall back to putting on those Converse. So how do you actually get people using these new patterns and behaviors that you're speaking to? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I feel like it's the thing that is completely broken in how most companies that I work with approach enablement, <laughs> you know, which is we can dig into. But I think the first thing is the environment that you create. Like what I wrote down on my notes here was the term emotional safety. One of the things is the really good sales leaders that I see when I watch them on Zoom meetings, I see their team is not afraid to interact with them as like a peer. People don't seem intimidated to just joke around and have a good time with them. And they have a really good rapport and it feels safe to bring up stuff that you're concerned with. I think that emotional safety is really important. Whenever I come into a new company, the way that I do this, this is a really great hack. What I always say is just before we get started, one disclaimer, I don't sell what you guys sell. And I don't sell to the customers that you sell to on a daily basis. My goal is not to come in and try to tell you how to do your job better than you do it right now. So what I need right now is a commitment from everyone. Do you feel comfortable if I say something that feels out of line with what you know to be true about your prospects? Do you guys feel comfortable like pushing back and letting me know? And everyone kind of smiles. And I see the attention just disappear. Because what are people thinking? They're thinking, oh, some outsider, this Jason guy, I don't know, outbound squad, maybe I've heard of him. I don't know. But like, who's this guy? So I think creating emotional safety and showing people as a sales leader, especially that, dude, I'm willing to rub shoulders with you. This is so important for frontline leaders. I'm willing to do the job. I'm willing to get in the pit and make calls just to show you that I can still do it. I'm willing to hop on sales calls and ride shotgun with you. Like I can do that. That's number one right there. That's how you create buy-in. And this connects to what we said before, like showing that you can also do this too, I think is super important. So this partnership piece. The second thing is the way that I see enablement teams teach is think about what the typical onboarding experience looks like, dude. 
for a lot of the large companies, it's like four to six weeks of onboarding plus bootcamp. And it's just 99% information dump on you. And then there's 1% of you actually doing the stuff that you learn. By the way, I'm not saying I have the answer for like how to onboard reps perfectly or what that time should be or how long it should take. But the thing that I see is this like overload of all of this information that this person's not going to use in their first month on the job. And then there's no breaking down things into the core concepts. So a very tactical thing that you can do, it's a framework called Format. They use it in education to teach curriculum. It's why, what, how. So whenever we're teaching something, like let's say cold calling, if we're going to teach a permission-based opener, we're not just going to give really prescriptive how-to advice and say, hey, Alex, so on your next cold call, you're going to use a permission-based opener. Here's how it sounds. Hey, this is Jason with Outbound Squad. You got a minute for me to show the reason for my call? You can let me know if you want to keep chatting. I've given you very prescriptive how and what, and I gave you no context into the psychology behind this, how it works. I haven't given you any tools to make that thing your own. And what I find is that when people teach things, they don't break things down like this. And if I was teaching permission-based openers, for example, I might say, hey, you ever noticed that when a prospect picks up the phone, they're kind of surprised, first off, that you're calling them because they thought it was someone else. And you kind of don't really feel like they're willing to participate in that call. And they give you a lot of resistance. Yeah, yeah, Well, what if we did something like ask them if they want to participate in the call? What if we just got an opt-in from them right there and see if they even want to have the conversation? What do you think that would do? Oh, well, it might give you an opportunity to actually have a conversation instead of getting shut down in the first 20 seconds. Cool. So a way that we can do that is permission-based opener. Here's an example of what that sounds like. What parts of this do you like? How do you think you could adapt that for yourself? So this like why, what, how, like breaking things down into very fundamental, just bite-sized chunks, and then being able to thin slice things, as Malcolm Gladwell would say. If I'm teaching cold calling to an SDR who's never made a cold call before, I don't need to talk about how to ask like all the stuff you send LinkedIn, like all these questions that like really challenge the product. Like, no, dude, I need to just figure out how to get to the 82nd mark in the call where all cold calls die. <laughs> you know what I mean? I need to have a good permission-based opener, not pitch my thing at the beginning. And then I need to have like two or three like good questions that just get the prospect talking. And then I need to ask for the meeting. Let's just focus on those three things. That thin slicing and breaking down of stuff and making it super easy. And then having a why component where I can relate it back to something that you already know about is super important for retention. And then the last piece of that is reinforcement. So the big part that I see neglected that I am always really excited when companies want to do this is, hey, dude, we got to work with your frontline leaders. If they don't know how to do this stuff and reinforce it, the habits are not going to stick. Like You need leaders that are literally bringing this stuff up every opportunity that they get. Hey, we're working on this thing in our cold calls to improve this conversion rate. I'm listening to calls. I'm giving feedback. I'm having the rep coach themselves and give themselves feedback and run it by me. Like Literally, every time I talk to them, I'm asking, hey, how is that permission-based opener going? Do we need to role-play it a little bit more? Like That just relentless. I learned this as a college student in 2009 being a sales manager like teaching people how to sell house painting services you know we had this concept that was you know if you want to hit a home run you got to focus on a skill for 4 weeks you can't just talk about it one week you got to be relentless not to compare reps to dogs but like when you train a dog it's relentless you're always trying to catch the dog good behavior you're always trying to catch it and reward it and it's a very similar kind of concept here obviously very different i'm not trying to imply that reps are like dogs or pets or anything like that. But I think you kind of get the analogy. Savior, Jason. Come on, I would man. say those are the things like creating an emotionally safe environment. <laughs> what is up, y'all? This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders all across the world master the art and the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. So what does that mean? Here it is. 
Yes, the sales talk track, the tactic, the strategy is definitely important. But if there's not that underlying foundation that's built upon mental health, emotional health, even spiritual health, I don't care how good that talk track sounds, it's going to fall flat if you're not coming from a sense of purpose, of fulfillment, of meaning in your life. And that's really what we're doing through our in-person immersions. Next one is being held February 23rd through 25th. At our last immersion, we had 50 sales professionals and leaders come from across the world to really do this inner work. And we did things such as breath work, cold plunges, meditations, yoga, things to get us into our body more. And oh, by the way, we talked about what it means to do an effective discovery call, to lead an effective presentation, to negotiate like a complete badass. And really, at the end of the day, we're just a great community of people looking to do the good work and to bring the essence of who we truly are back to the world. So if you're interested in checking it out, make sure you check out alluvians.co. Check us out there, submit an application, and we cannot wait to see you there. Creating emotionally safe environment. I think really Mark does such a good job of this when I had him on the podcast. He does such a good job of simplifying a process. It's like, what are the bare bones, basic things that everyone needs to do really well? And then the reinforcement strategy, that's how you really get stuff to stick and create behavior change. And if you're implementing this for the first time at an organization, I think what you have to also be willing to do, and I'm seeing this right now, there are teams that are needing to do outbound when they've been mostly inbound led sales teams. And they're having to do outbound right now because deals are harder to close. And I'm like, you got to be willing to like part ways with some people who are just never going to want to do outbound. So you got to be willing to part ways with them. Do we have the right people in the right seats? You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing is super important as well. So you said three things there that I just want to double down that I really, really liked. So first off, you talked about the partnership that you need to have with your reps. And I think that is such an important one of saying, hey, this is what I believe or my hypothesis is the way to go about this or the right answer. But y'all are on the front lines every single day challenge me, push back, tell us what's actually working. And then it creates a less of like hierarchical me just pushing down. It's like, hey, we're all in this sort of thing together. And that's not done easily. And it's not done in one meeting. That's done consistently over and over again. It's like almost the energetic with which you're coming from. The format piece that you said, the why, what, how is incredible. What I love the most that you said about though, is then you adapt it for yourself. Because so often it's like, if somebody says something, like I still remember this, you mentioned Mark Costco, so like our third time talking about him, but I remember he got me so jazzed up one time when I was an account executive at Outreach before a call to like go in and say this talk track to the CFO of getting the deal done. And Mark Costco is a very passionate guy. And so he just got me hyped for it. And I was like, man, I'm going to go in, I'm going to crush this thing. Like I'm going to sound exactly like Mark. And I went in. And I got knocked flat in the face. We lost the deal. They went to a because it sounded good coming from Mark did not sound good coming from Alex. And so it's really like, hey, here's the frame. Try it on though. Make sure the jersey fits on you. And then the reinforcement piece of the frontline leaders. And I really, I just think like that, those three nuggets right there, the partnership, the format, and the reinforcement, that's a formula right there that you're at least putting your best foot forward of actually getting the change in behavior to occur. One more little insight on partnership is how you receive feedback as a leader. This is one thing I do in my company a lot is we ask for feedback a lot. There's a lot of opportunities for people to give feedback. But most importantly, when I'm giving feedback, I take it really well. So even if you don't agree with the feedback, this is just 
good advice for any person in a leadership position, you always want to articulate back what the feedback is so that the person feels understood. If you gave me feedback on, you said, hey, I think the activity metrics are a little bit unreasonable. It's really hard for me to squeeze this in. I don't know. Just throwing out an example, I might say, hey, Alex, so what I'm hearing is that the activity metrics from your perspective, it feels kind of tough to hit those activity metrics. And you're wondering why we have them when really the goal is to get those meetings set that you want. Do you feel like I have a good understanding of what your feedback is here and where you're coming from? Yeah, cool. And then I can agree or disagree with it. But making the person feel understood and letting them know that you're receiving feedback in all formats, whether it's someone that brings it up in a call, someone that sends something through an email, through Slack message, whatever it might be, you have to demonstrate that you will be receptive to feedback in front of an audience so that you're not discouraging people from like actually giving you feedback. I feel like a lot of people want feedback, but they don't take it that well, especially leaders. And it's, it's really hard. I'm not perfect about it, but if you don't take feedback well in front of your team, you're training everyone not to bring feedback to you. And you do not want to be running a team where people feel too afraid to tell you what's really on their mind. You don't want that environment on your sales work. I remember listening to a podcast that someone was interviewing Barack Obama, actually. And it was, you know, way back in 2018, something like that. And they asked Barack Obama, how are you such a good debater? I didn't know he was a good debater, but I guess, you know, he is. And he said... Exactly what you said is like when somebody gives an opposing perspective to you, you say, I could understand why you would think that or why you'd view it that way because of X, Y, and Z. And this is now how I see it and go into whatever your opposing perspective. And it's at least showing it's like, hey, I'm willing to at least put myself in your shoes and consider it from that lens. And that person feels heard and receives like, yeah, exactly. Now that person says their perspective is like, cool, you've afforded me, you know, the gratitude of student from my point of view. Now let me do the exact same thing for you. So I love just like the repeating, the mirroring back to it yep. right there. Definitely. And he's definitely a good debater. You got a YouTube uh, for those listening, Barack Obama debating highlight clips. He's money, dude. He's so good. <laughs> he's got some funny, yeah. yeah, he is. He brings a good humor to it. You're talking about sales teams from some of the best companies all across the world very often. And you're having people on your podcast who are thought leaders within the space, sales professionals, sales leaders, you name it. I really do believe that sales is in a evolution, one can say, a transformation. I think especially when you look at the pre-COVID 2015 through 2020, we were in the golden ages of tech and sales, right? Everybody had budget. Everybody was hitting quota. Everybody had every piece of tech within each stage of the funnel, you name it. And then all of a sudden, when remote COVID happened, companies were shattered and we're in a new age of how do you sell? And in addition to that, how do you combine the inner game, the mental health, the emotional health, the physical health, even spiritual health, to making you a great sales professional. And so I would just love to understand from you of what are you seeing changing in the sales world? What is new? You could even tie this tactics if you feel called or just like, what are you seeing is changing within the world in sales today? Yeah, I mean, this sort of happens anytime the economy takes a shit like it is right now. I <laughs> think is uh, this sort of naturally happens across most industries where there was a lot of money to go around and then all of a sudden there isn't. And basically you could get away as a, either Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger would say, it's, you know, when the tide goes back, you're going to see who's naked or whatever, you know, is that whatever that quote is, you get exposed when things aren't good. So I'll give you an example. 
when I was selling training, not right after COVID, but like, let's say 2021, there were so many people that had already gone through this exercise in their sales org of, yeah, we have a problem and we figured that you and this other trainer, this other trainer, there are people that can help us fix it. And they're literally like kind of coming to the table. There's already like a budget is set aside for, and there's like all this kind of stuff. And it was really more solution selling, where it's like, I just got to show that my solution is the best. That's just not the reality for most reps right now. And it's not the reality for me right now either. It's not good enough for me to talk about why I'm the best trainer for their specific needs. I have to sell them on changing. Even inbound leads that mm-hmm. come to me, I'm like, I have to sell you on why you should do stuff differently than you are right now. And that requires you to have good sales skills. You could do two or three years ago as someone with very little experience is just basically releasing your company's brand recognition and your product being really good. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a couple of things that are super important right now to get more tactical. One, your ability as an account executive to self-source pipeline is hypercritical right now. So you're probably not going to hit target, whereas you could surpass your quota relying on SDRs and inbound for the most part prior to this. So you got to get good at self-sourcing. The second thing is multi-threading. And it's something I've been talking about a lot. Mark talks about it a lot. We talked about it a lot on the podcast we did together. It's just your ability to figure out like, hey, am I talking to the right people? And then from there, are we aligned on like what their business goals and initiatives are? And have we quantified a cost of doing nothing? What's the consequences of their status quo? And you got to be talking to the right people in order to make that happen. So your ability to, when an inbound lead comes in and it's a manager or a director of something, your ability to get threaded to power and to get that person to want to engage power in other people in the org is table stakes. You have to do that. Budget thresholds are so much lower than they were. There are VPs that were my main points of contact that could like green light anything below 50,000 bucks for a training, which is quite a bit for the types of trainings that I do. And now it's anything over $10,000 has got to be approved by the CFO <laughs> at like large companies. Your ability to multi-thread is so big. So again, if I can't come into a call now If I'm meeting with Alex, I can't come into this call and be like, well, hey, so who do you typically collaborate with this stuff on? I got to be like, hey, I I see that Mark's your CRO. My guess is that if this were to get anywhere, you're probably going to want to collaborate with so-and-so and and -and so-and-so to get their perspective from an enablement lens. I'm sure you've got some frontline leaders that are like, hey, we're going to change the way we do stuff. We want some eyes on the content as well. And then I'm sure your CRO is going to want to know how this fits into the long-term perspective of the next year or two, how this kind of fits into the product roadmap that might be rolling out, your expansion plans, etc. So what I would suggest in terms of who gets involved next is so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm able to coach the buyer. That's the biggest thing if I'm thinking about the theme is that you need to be prepared to coach the buyer on the best way to get the outcome from your solution, not how to buy your solution, how to get a great outcome. And you need to be able to loop in the players to do that. And you need to show up to a call with a game plan, a hypothesis of who should get involved. You need to be able to talk them through the benefit of looping other people in. And then you need to actually be able to execute it. So I would say that's the biggest thing if we're looking at account executives right now is that you just aren't going to bring a deal to the finish line right now talking to one person. And that happened a lot a couple of years ago. Hmm. The multi-threaded piece is an incredible one. We used to have something called ad outreach called hashtag MTMP, multi-threaded with multiple people. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, and it's funny because listening to your podcast or listening with Mark, we talk about at the end of the first meeting or stage one, you should be exiting that meeting knowing the three, two, one, which is what three people are going to be involved, the two departments are going to be involved, 
and the one executive that's going to be involved. So three, two, one. And then also you need to be knowing what's the executive priorities or the ATL above the line initiatives that we're actually attaching this to. And I, I listened to another one of your podcasts and you said an incredible thing when you are stuck with the below the line, non-influential person in a deal cycle, how do you go about getting to that upper level person? And what you said, I'm just going to repeat it. So I'm giving you full credit here. It's, hey, I'm curious, before I bring in resources on my end right here for this next conversation, I would love to understand what do you need to see in order to be able to loop in your CRO or this person of power, your CFO? What do you need to see? And it's at least giving a little bit of a quid pro quo right there because, hey, at the end of the day, so many sales reps are just giving, giving. Oh, you want a demo? You want a demo? You want a demo? You got it. And it's just giving up their time without honoring their own time and the resources that they're finding and the value in their perspective. Yeah. It's gift to gets, right? That's the old thing in sales, gift to gets. And I'll give you an example. I work with a client right now and I'm like, I'm like, you guys tell me what it takes to put together a demo. And the amount of work that they do internally with their SEs to actually put together a good customized demo, it's like, dude, it takes like three different people's time, takes multiple hours of preparation, and not even to mention how much of a pain in the ass it is for them to coordinate internally just to get everyone like on a call together to talk about it. You guys are putting a shit ton into this deal and you don't even have access to power. What are you doing? You're going to give a demo to like an audience of 10 people and then not even have a clear next step that they're committed to if that thing goes well and they see the thing that they want to see. So yeah, you can't be afraid to like think about demos. We could spend a whole hour talking about demos, but the purpose of the demo is not to show off your solution. The purpose of your demo is to show the things that you need to, to advance the deal, <laughs> right? Yes. It's, it's what do I need to do to get to the next stage in my sales pipeline? <laughs> Right? Or disqualify. So that's also a great outcome too sometimes. But I need to use the demo to advance the deal. It's not just to show off a bunch of stuff. So like the multi-threading piece of give to gets, explain to the champion or to your prospect what work you're putting in. Because I think a lot of buyers don't understand all the work that a sales team of people has to put in to deliver a demo or a proposal or when they start scoping out what stuff's going to look like. I mean, I don't think they understand all the resources that are involved with that. Yes. It's a powerful thing when you have the ability to actually combine the art of sales right there that you're talking about, like there's the craft of it and it's learning the frameworks, learning the gives and the gets and actually combining that with, are you feeling fulfilled? (laughs) Do you enjoy this job? Do you feel like you're growing and you're developing? I kind of want to transition to that topic right there. Because I know mental health is definitely important to you. Prior to this call, you talked about outbound sales has moved to a four-day work week. You've dealt with your own mental health and how you deal with it, how you deal with the stress, anxiety of being a founder and a CEO. And I think, especially when I'm speaking with sales professionals, sales leaders, you know, every single day, the most common thing that I'm hearing from people is they're just freaking burnt out. They're exhausted. And a lot of people right now are feeling like, hey, no longer have an office. We're remote. I'm selling a product that I may or may not care about. And I'm just trying to hit quota. And you hit quota and you feel great for about seven minutes. And then you say, oh man, I got a zero right in front of my name again for this next quarter. And I just worked my ass off in order to get to this point. And there's this like cyclical feeling of like, when, what am I missing here? Tactics and strategies are incredibly important. And I love the study of that game. 
but how do you also combine that with the, the inner game, the mental health, the mental performance, one can say for the sales teams that you are training, the sales leaders that you're training, or even how you are bringing that to your team at the Outbound Squad? What they may not understand about running a small business like I run is that I don't have a salary. So if my business is not performing well, I literally don't make any money. <laughs> There's no like safety net. <laughs> you know. So I've had to learn how to not always be on and to not stress about stuff. And it's still something that I'm not perfect at. Like I shared with you before this call last October, I almost had a really bad anxiety attack. And I felt like for an entire week, extremely low energy. I could barely do a Zoom call. I had to cancel all of my client Zoom calls and training calls and all that kind of stuff. It felt like it came out of nowhere. It wasn't about anything in particular. I was just doing a lot of new stuff all at once, like hiring new people, bringing out new tools, etc. That was like a kick in the ass for me to be like, Okay, I'm 34 years old now, 33, I think at the time. And I'm like, I can't fuck around with this stuff anymore. I don't have what I had in my 20s where I can just grind for 80, 100 hours a week. I can't mess around with this stuff anymore. So some things that really helped me, I think back to basics with your physical health. What that spurred me to do was, and I'm a little intense with this stuff. You don't need to do it like this. Like I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I do a five o'clock orange theory workout, you know, from five to six, Monday through Thursday. Sometimes I'll do every other day with that, but I'm like up early doing something physical to sweat. That's the number one thing to take care of yourself. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating in a way that's healthy for you? Are you staying hydrated, et cetera? Make sure you're doing the very basic things. That's what I doubled down on. The second thing is... You mentioned this starting over from zero. Now, I don't know why this advice is controversial, but I've, I've written several LinkedIn posts on this. You should have 6 to 12 months of cash runway. Not that's invested in stuff that's easily accessible for you, like emergency savings. We have a year in our personal and 6 months in our business of cash. And what that allows me to do, it gives me the freedom to not have to make short-term decisions and not stress out if a month doesn't go that well. And I cannot tell you how many people, especially account executives, when they start making some good money, when they cross three, 300K, they maybe make 400. Some of the reps make a 500K plus on the enterprise side and their lifestyle just creeps up right along with it. So if you can figure out how to live mostly off of your salary, be fairly frugal in whatever way that that means to you. But more importantly, how could I put myself in a position where if I got fired and didn't find another job for an entire year, I really wouldn't be that stressed. That's the position that you want to put yourself in. And you're going to not need the sale so much either. It's going to really change the way that you approach selling. Runway, I think super underrated. People don't think about that kind of stuff. I think the third thing, there's a couple of really simple productivity things that you can do. And again, this is speaking from someone that runs a business. I don't have a schedule dictated to me. You should have clear constraints on how you spend your time. So there should be a clear start and stop time to your workday. So you need to make a commitment to yourself that after this time, unless I'm working the biggest deal of my life and I need this to close it, and it's a temporary thing that I'm doing, I don't take work emails or calls. And without a constraint, what happens is if you just let the workday be the entire time that you're awake, you're so unproductive. For me, most of the time, that's 5 o'clock. I'm working from 7 to 5, Monday through Thursday. After 5 o'clock, unless it's like something I really need to do, I'm not touching it. That's like time for me and my wife. I think having something to transition into that you make a commitment to someone else, and I'm not perfect with that, but do something where you commit to your kids, your family, whatever it is at a clear cutoff time. And now you cannot fuck around during the day, mm -hmm. right? So create clear time constraints. I think the other thing too, is a lot of, this will kind of wrap a bow on everything that we've talked about today. 
because you mentioned what's different about selling. I think what's more important than ever right now is your ability to say no to stuff that's not working and apply 80-20 rule. That means what verticals and accounts do I need to like cherry pick because that's where all the business is right now and just ignore the rest. What personas, the two personas that I see the most with, I know we can sell the five different ones, but these two are the ones that 80% of the time when we close a deal, here's who we're getting involved. I'm going to double down and focus on those. And I'm going to go really deep, high quality sales activities on those. And I'm going to ignore the rest. So if you approach Hmm. your entire week like that, where I'm willing to say no to certain stuff so I can say yes to the right things, that'll completely change how you spend your time too. And again, it's very narrow and focus, less time higher quality output, that's going to be really great for your mental health. Those are like my gimmies, like just do this, just start doing this stuff and you're going to see some good headway. It's some nuggets. It's some nuggets right there. Well, I could talk about this for hours with you and you said a lot of good stuff. I have one more final question for you. But first of all, I just want to acknowledge you, man. Thank you for bringing the energy and the passion to you. I love how you combine the perfect amount of the sales tactics. You're a wealth of knowledge. I can tell I'm like, man, I just want to learn from you. I want to bring you to my sales team and I want to become a better sales professional for you. But also the inner game that you speak of there and how you first live it yourself, I think creates a certain transmission towards who you lead and how you train. And my final question for you is this. The show is obviously called The Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? Yeah, the rising leader in short to me is the person that can engage with multiple generations. None of this, oh, Gen Z doesn't like this, or I don't, none of that kind of bullshit. It's a person that can engage with young people on their team. And it's a person that creates an environment of emotional safety where people can collaborate and doesn't lead out of fear. Mm, Boom. I like that, my friend. Well, hey, Jason, if you want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do so? Outboundsquad.com is the best place. So that's a hub for if you're looking for free stuff. We got a ton of that. We have a podcast called Outbound Squad. There's a link there on LinkedIn. I post daily content on sales and prospecting. And then if you're looking for coaching, training, any of that kind of stuff on some of the things that we've talked about today, that's the best place to figure that out. We have programs for both individual reps and for teams as well. So outboundsquad.com. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And for all those who tapped in and listened and get some nuggets here, make sure you either like this show or share it with those who need it. But with that, Jason, thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluviance.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.